Thank you so much. I've looked forward to this. And uh, I, you know, after the pandemic and so forth, I, I uh, retired from the uh, pastorate um, and, uh, and then uh, the pandemic hit. Uh, and so suddenly after years of preaching several times uh, each week, uh, I didn't connect with anyone really like most of us. Uh, did some online stuff and all that. And so now as life begins to return to some semblance of normal, it's such a joy to be worshiping together with the people of God, isn't it? Uh, well, uh, my, I'm going to give this a title, and I'm, the title is uh, King of Rejects. Uh, and it may seem a little strange on Palm Sunday to, uh, to have a theme like that, but let me just read to you a passage of Scripture from uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Therefore, lying, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babies desire the pure word, the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone." and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is one of the traditional readings at Palm Sunday. Uh, and I've always loved preaching uh, on Palm Sunday. It's both uh, easy and difficult to prepare a message for a day like this. It's easy because you could really just tell the story and people would, wouldn't expect any more and they'll be fine with it. But it's difficult because you can end up saying kind of trite and boring things and, and uh, really give, uh, give yourself and others uh, no real new information about what happened on that day. But this is one of the traditional readings, and I want to tell you why. It's a strange reading, and it's repeated several times in Scripture. First, I think, in Psalm 114. And it has a story I want to tell you about. But then it's repeated throughout the New Testament. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's, it's uh, I think, quoted four times, just clearly quoted. And then it's referred to several times besides that. 
And the story uh, is about uh, the temple. Uh, and uh, when they were selecting the stones to build up Solomon's temple, there was these foundation stones that were just huge. Uh, we didn't see them for many, many centuries. But now you can actually visit Jerusalem and go underneath the ground and see these unbelievably huge blocks of stone. One of them had been chosen to be the cornerstone, which is where, uh, I, where we, uh, in Spanish, we call it the angular. It's the place right at the corner where you, you slide things in and it holds the weight. It has the uh, kind of weight-bearing preeminence for the entire uh, structure. And when you see them, it's unbelievable that people in the ancient world could actually move these things uh, with, without the modern machinery that we have. But they did it. And the story goes that as the architect and the chief builders were looking over all the materials, this was the stone that they had decided didn't really fit. And they had set it aside, and it was just over there until the temple was just about ready to put in uh, this uh, uh, cornerstone. And they revisited it and found out it was exactly the right thing to put into this place. And so the psalmist uses this as a metaphor about the nation of Israel that the stone that has been rejected has been made by God, the chief of the corner, and it, uh, and it concludes with, so this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And so this is often used during Palm Sunday, and I want to tell you why that is, because uh, Palm Sunday is kind of a, a day of paradox. It's really a tragedy. But first, let's look at how the Apostle Peter, he quotes it in a sermon he's preaching in Acts chapter uh, 4, and then he repeats it again in his epistle. So this scripture meant a lot to him. Can you imagine why? Here was the guy that uh, barely a month after he had just in a disastrous way swearing and just blustering his way of denial that he was a disciple of Jesus was asked to lead the church uh, as, as the Lord's successor. So like, feed my sheep. And he's like, whoa, 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 me? Yeah. Do you love me? Yeah. Well, then feed my sheep. And we go through all of that. And the apostle Peter's like, how, how, what? And he's kind of bewildered because the apostle Peter all through scripture is kind of bumbling around. He's not very polished. He makes all kinds of mistakes. He makes really bad mistakes of judgment. He seems uh, the wrong temperament to be a stable kind of leader. He is the kind of person that we probably would not put in a place that requires great uh, stability. But there was something in him that the Lord saw, and the Apostle Peter was forever attached to that kind of idea about rejected things being made uh, good again. And of course, there's all kind of stories like this in Scripture. If we would have time, we would talk about them. The Apostle Paul, he goes on several times. At first in his career, he says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because, and then later in life, he said, I'm not worthy even to be called a Christian. So he's aware of his own failings and the rejection. Uh, he, he has been rejected. He understands why he's rejected because as time goes on, he sees more more and more his own flaws, but nonetheless, the Lord had chosen him. 
There's John Mark. He's an interesting character. You talk about a loser. He absolutely breaks up the most uh, effective missionary team in all of history uh, because he's a dysfunctional, toxic kind of person, immature. Uh, there's all kind of stories about him in, in, uh, in uh, Christian uh, tradition. Uh, he was a Levite. He was supposed to serve in temple duty, and he, he cut off uh, the end of his little finger so he would be disqualified qualified and not have to do his work. Uh, and so he had, um, he had the nickname throughout life around Jerusalem of short finger. Uh, he is the person, says tradition, that in the gospel of Mark, uh, when Jesus was apprehended in the garden, takes off all of his clothes and runs naked through the garden uh, to get out, out of the way of things. Uh, kind of not the kind of person uh, you would choose. And yet, he is the one that gives us the first gospel from which most of the information comes in the other gospels. And he also uh, founds the church uh, in Egypt uh, that exists to this day and was uh, martyred there in Alexandria. Um, Stephen Lawhead and his uh, masterful novel, um, Byzantium, uh, tells the story of St. Aidan, uh, who uh, was an Irish monk that after being totally disillusioned with the church as spending time in Constantinople, uh, decides to reject his faith and lives as a non-Christian for some years. And then the Lord calls him uh, to be uh, uh, the apostle to the Vikings, the terrible people up north that's plundering everybody, and he is the one that takes the message of the cross to these people, and they receive Christ. Our story, our Christian story, is filled with things that point to this passage. The, the stone that the builder set up not has become the chief of the corner. Paul Stokey, uh, during the Jesus movement, you know, you'd sing the same line 15 times and it blessed everybody, or even more. And uh, he, he wrote a lot of wonderful songs. He was part of the Peter, Paul, Mary. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, that group. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and he would have us singing over and over, The building block that was rejected became the cornerstone of a whole new world. The building block that was rejected became the cornerstone of a whole new world. Why Palm Sunday? Because Palm Sunday is a tragedy. It is the day when the rulers and the priests and the Romans in Jerusalem overturned the common people's desire and hunger for a new order. If you only go to church on Palm Sunday and Easter in most churches, you would just think this is all a story of triumph. But in between Palm Sunday, the rejoicing of the people as Jesus comes in, and on Easter Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection, is a week of tragedy and despair and disillusionment. And the disciples of Jesus during this time are most characterized by the uh, uh, by the men of Emmaus, who are shattered because they can no longer believe. They are humiliated because their dreams and hopes have been shattered. Little background. Who gathers in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to welcome the Lord? It's the marginal people, those that were unconnected to power, even the disciples were embarrassed by these people. 
as they began to shout out, even the disciples who weren't exactly from downtown themselves are saying, is there no way that we can get these people to hush? And the Lord says, leave them alone. They don't cry out, even the rocks, the rocks will cry out in their place. So there are all these marginal people out there welcoming the Lord, but why? I want to tell you why. One of the greatest, most impactful books in, in the world that's ever been written was called The Communist Manifesto by, by Marx and Engels. As they drafted the Communist Manifesto, I mean, it's not something most of you have probably read. But it has that famous line, workers of the world unite, you have nothing to lose but your chains. Of course, in the end, that's what, <laughs> there was more chains. But nonetheless, before all of that, no one knew, it seemed like, a burst of hope on the world for lots of people that suffered. And so this little book is called The Communist Manifesto because it is asking people to give consideration of something that could be, that was different than where they were. As it turned out, it's an experiment that was disastrous in the world. Nonetheless, it had that power. If you want to know what Jesus stands for, you have to listen to his manifesto. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's interesting, it's a kind of a, something that Christians ignore. We like his blood more than his words. It is an embarrassment to Christians in many ways, the Lord's sermon on Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It was an embarrassment then, it's an embarrassment now because it overturns everything. It starts with this startling uh, statement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed! Are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And line after line, as the Lord says, the kind of kingdom I'm building, it makes no sense whatsoever then or now. Frederick Nietzsche said it is a philosophy of slaves and the ethic uh, of uh, the envious. this manifesto that Jesus gives. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, if you're poor in money, you don't have enough money to buy things. If you're poor in spirit, then it's, you don't have enough spirit to do what's needed to be done. I mean, if you would have gone to the people of God during the, in the times of Jesus and said, what can I do to be a good person? They would say, well, here's the Ten Commandments and here are all the structures and the practices of the faith. You take these on, you begin to do this, and maybe in a few generations, your family will begin to begin to approximate something of the righteousness in God and in the meantime you're just you're going to be just doing your best but uh, uh, and, and, and folks just gave up not only around the world but also in Israel itself there was just these people that gave their lives daily to, to prayer and to trying their best to do all the practices and learn all the scriptures but masses of Jewish people even in Israel itself were thought of as the kind of the great unwashed masses that really uh, just didn't have it, uh, have it in them to be able to fulfill the law of God. And Jesus says, yeah, I've, I'm come for you. I want to build something with you. 
And so they greet him. Why do they greet him? Because he has noticed their plight. Ah, oh, there's something about that that gives you joy when you just realize you've been noticed. It's why really early uh, Pentecostal people would uh, sing, I love the Lord. He heard my cry, pitied every groan. Long as I live and troubles rise, I'll hasten to God's throne. Somebody has seen me, and I want to show up. For this prophet from Galilee who has seen me and believes that God has a place for me. The Apostle Peter, no wonder then he is saying, the stone the builders rejected has become the chief of the corner. I want to make him king. I want to make him king because... He understands me, and he will know how to be my king. We need to think about this not only as individuals, but as churches. There's been for many decades, and I kind of bought into this too, the idea that churches will succeed if only we can find the well-connected and the rich and the famous, and we will make it a cool enough place that they'll want to come. And then all the has-beens and the B-team and C-team will follow. It, it makes sense. That's the way you market it, most things. But it's not the way Jesus marketed things. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And I'll tell you this, what the world really doesn't notice that. They will for a while. I mean, you get a bump. For a few months, a few years, you're the coolest place in town, and then that goes away, and there's another cool place in town. But what the world notices is when addictions are healed, the weary and heavy laden are comforted, and marginal people find a place of healing, belonging, and safety. Heal the desolate. The addicted rise up, raise up the outcast, the rejects, and the world will know there is power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. On Palm Sunday, Jesus is aware that the people that are shouting out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that they, they will be overturned. The powerless are almost always overturned. But Jesus decides to establish his church among them anyway, and not only that, but to join them himself. Let not the hope of the poor be taken away. Hallelujah. 
So Jesus is looking at these people and saying, I, I can make something of you. And so when their hopes and dreams are dashed and it doesn't turn out the way it seems like it, as we start on Palm Sunday, Jesus nonetheless is still with them and he goes to the cross. And even then, as everything falls apart, the men of Emmaus walk away. Peter denies the Lord. Everybody scatters and goes. In the next few days, Jesus will be regathering one by one and like, okay, now we're ready to start. It's the most bizarre way to build a kingdom, isn't it? In just a few moments, we will be... uh, offering communion and time of prayer. And I felt like in this sermon today that I was going to be talking to one or more people who really feels like a fraud when it comes to spiritual life. You've got junk going on in your life that just makes you know that if people knew all the things you're struggling with, they would not even begin to look at you. We are a broken and flawed people. And it's only when we lose sight of that that we get into real trouble. But when we are aware of our brokenness, we are ready to hear the message of Palm Sunday. And the king of rejects says, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here, Jesus says, you will find rest for your soul from the years of addictions, from the years of, uh, of not being able to fit in, from the years of not being able to grasp it, from the years of messing up, wanting to follow and then falling away and wanting to follow and falling away. But the thing is what you need to know that even, you know, the drunk at the end of the day that's getting home, he will get home if he just stays on the right road. You need to stay on the right road because the king of rejects knows what he's doing. He wants you specifically. That's what Palm Sunday is about. There was no crown for him of silver or of gold. There was no diadem for him to hold but blood adorned his brow and proud its stain he wore and sinners gave to him the crown he wore a rugged cross became his throne his kingdom was in hearts alone he wrote his love in crimson red and wore the thorns upon his head 
No purple robe he wore, his bleeding wounds to hide. But stripes upon his back he wore with pride. And from the wounds there flowed a crimson cleansing stream that was a cover for the soul unclean. A rugged cross became his throne. His kingdom was in hearts alone. He wrote his love in crimson red, wore a crown of thorns upon his head. Lord, it hurts to call you king of rejects. You're the king of glory. But that is how you have chosen to honor yourself, is by humbling yourself. And you humble yourself so that you can meet us where we are, so that we will not be afraid. And so in our love for you, we depict you most of the time in art as a child, helpless in its mother's arms or stretched out on a cross with your hands nailed, your feet tied, as though to say you can come as close as you like. I present no danger at all. It's hard to believe that the king of glory would allow himself to be depicted that way and take glory in the wounds of the cross. And so, Lord, as we are here in your presence, there's many people here today, maybe some people listening, who are like the Apostle Peter that say, Depart from me, Lord, I'm an unclean man. And all you say back is, Well, do you love me? So here we are. And Lord, I pray that someone here today, maybe for the first time in their life, would say, I can follow a king like that. And will come forward today to receive their first communion. They're welcome. This is a kingdom of radical hospitality because the king of rejects builds places where all the rejects of the world can come and find honor and belonging and family, and dignity, and utility, and delight, and joy, and everlasting life. To you alone be glory and honor through all the ages. Amen.